G'day and welcome to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigau and on this show we're examining biblical concepts and ideas and asking ourselves the important question, is it relevant today? Or is it as outdated and ridiculous as Blackberry's physical keyboards? We live in a world today where fake news is rampant. But not only this, deception seems to be at an all-time high. And the truth is that one of the struggles today is to know what's actually true and what's a cleverly devised fable. How many of us have purchased pill juices or muscle stimulation shock pads that promise you'll lose an enormous amount of weight in a very short space of time only to have ended up disappointed and resolved to solve the problem by using a sledgehammer on the bathroom scales? Maybe it's only me, but it's hard to know what's actually true today. The other day, I received a text message saying, Congratulations, you've won 6.5 million pounds. Now, what do you think I did? Do you think I went to my wife and said, Yes, we're going to Hawaii. Well, as soon as the borders open. No, I didn't do that at all. What I did was to carefully delete this text without opening it, just in case there's some kind of virus attached to it. Some lies are more obvious than others, but the fact remains that we live in a world plagued by lies and deceit, and one needs to ask the question, is the Bible actually credible? Or is it some cleverly devised fable to control the masses? Is there a difference between the Bible and other books? Or are they all just different books? I was looking into this. And I came across 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which reads, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for all good works. I've realized that the fact that this verse is in the Bible makes it different from almost all other books. You see, the simple fact that the Bible claims to have divine authorship, that it claims to have God behind the authors, is something that makes it fairly unique. You could probably count on one hand the number of other books in the world that makes this claim. So, simply the fact that the Bible makes this claim makes it different from most other books. You don't see a woman's weekly having as the author God Almighty at the bottom. No, you don't. Now, this is an amazing claim. But how do we know that it's true? Is there a way we can know whether this claim is true or false? In Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 to 10, we're told to remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Imagine, let's say, that I came with a message. And I said to an elderly lady of 92 years old, God has given me a message to give you. This time next year, on April 14th, at 3.43pm, you will give birth to a baby boy. And he will weigh 3.54 kilograms. What would you think? Most people would think, um, okay, Marius has lost his marbles. But imagine next year, on April 14th, at 3.43pm, she did give birth to a baby boy who weighed 3.54 kilograms. 
what would you then think? You'd be like, hmm, maybe Marius was onto something. In the Old Testament, there are 1,239 prophecies according to the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy. In the New Testament, there are 578 prophecies, giving us a total of 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. You see, God has given us a way that we can test whether what He says is actually true. There's an interesting verse in Isaiah chapter 41, 22 and 23, where God is speaking about other pagan gods. And what He's saying is, let them try to tell us what happened long ago, so that we may consider the evidence. Okay, they claim to be God. Let's see the proof. Where's the proof? And he continues to say, let them tell us what the future holds. Yes, tell us what will occur in the days ahead. Then we will know that you are God. Essentially, what these verses are saying is, the way we can know whether something is from God or whether it's not from God, is by looking at the prophecies that it gives. God speaks about the future, and there are many passages in the Bible where God foretells the future. We're going to have a look at a few of them today, and we'll do this just after this song.
Is It Relevant Today? You're listening to Marius Jigao and today we're discussing the evidence for the credibility of the Bible. We've discovered that in Isaiah's day, one of the tests that showed whether a deity was actually real or fake was to see if they can predict the future. We've also discovered that the Bible contains 1,817 prophecies and we are now going to examine a few of them. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, we're told, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now here, Isaiah prophesies about 800 years before the event that Jesus will be born of a virgin. Interestingly, he says we shall call his name Emmanuel. And you may say, well, Hang on a minute, he wasn't called Emmanuel, he was called Jesus, wasn't he? Until you look at what Emmanuel actually means. The name Emmanuel means God with us. So essentially, what Isaiah prophesied about 800 years before the fact was that the virgin will conceive and bear a son and he shall be God with us. Micah is a prophet who lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. And he writes concerning Jesus' birth. He says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Micah prophesies that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. But notice it doesn't just simply say Bethlehem. It says Bethlehem Ephratah. Now, what's this Ephratah? You see, at the time when Micah was writing this, there were two Bethlehems. There was a Bethlehem which was in Judah, and there was another Bethlehem in a different town called Zebulun. Essentially what he's saying is, he will be born in Bethlehem, but not any Bethlehem this particular Bethlehem here in Judah. It would be like me saying this thing will happen in Maryborough, Victoria. Now some of you may know there's a Maryborough in Victoria and there's another one in Queensland. This way Micah identifies the specific Bethlehem where Jesus will be born. Then we have Zechariah. He writes to us how much Jesus was to be sold for. He says, So they paid me thirty pieces of silver. The Lord said to me, Throw the money to the potter. This is how little they thought I was worth. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. Here, Zechariah not only prophesies how much Jesus will be sold for, but also that this money would go to the potter. Now, what happened when Jesus was betrayed? Did Judas keep that money? No, Judas felt guilty for what he had done and he took the money and threw it back at the priests and the priests were like, "Uh, what can we do with this money? It's blood money, we can't really put it in the temple treasury. Let's buy this potter's field so we can bury strangers. This was prophesied about 500 years before. Jesus himself makes numerous prophecies. One of my favorite prophecies that Jesus makes is found in Matthew chapter 24 verse 2. He says, referring to the temple, that not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Jesus prophesied that the temple and all its stones will be turned over. 
Now, what happened about 40 years later, the Romans attacked the Jews because they were rebelling against them. And they were given instructions not to destroy the temple. It's a magnificent building and we want to keep it in one piece. It was made of wood overlaid with gold everywhere. However, in the heat of battle, one of the soldiers shot a flaming arrow into the temple and it caught fire. And as it burned, the gold melted into the cracks. So the soldiers, in an effort to get back whatever they could, overturned every one of the stones, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy to the letter. David also speaks about Jesus and the way he would die in Psalms chapter 22. He says, They pierced my feet and hands. This is another amazing prophecy. Around a thousand years before the event, David speaks that Jesus' hands and feet will be pierced. But my very favorite prophecy in the Bible is found in Ezekiel chapter 26, verses 3 to 5. And we'll check it out just after this song. God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever will be.
Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Marius Jigao and today we're looking at the prophetic evidence that shows the Bible is inspired by God himself. We've so far seen many prophecies about Jesus' birth, about the amount of money he would be sold for and even what this money would be used to buy. We saw a prophecy that Jesus himself gave about the destruction of Jerusalem and how not one stone would remain upon another. But my all-time favorite prophecy is found in Ezekiel chapter 26 verses 3 to 5, which reads, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you as the sea causes its waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken, says the Lord God. It shall become plunder for the nations. I absolutely love this prophecy because it's kind of absurd. Essentially, what's prophesied against Tyre is four things. Jerusalem at the time had wandered away from God and they were serving pagan deities and God had withdrawn his protection from them. And Tyre, seeing that they were weakened, took advantage from them. Now four things were prophesied to happen to Tyre. The first is that many nations will come up against them. The second is that they will destroy their walls and towers. The third is that the dust will be scraped from it and it will be made like the top of a rock. And the fourth which is the really interesting one, is that it will be placed into the sea. Just so you have an idea of just how ridiculous this sounds, imagine that someone would say, God is going to take Horsham and throw it into the sea. You'd be like, what? How can that happen? So let's see what actually happened to Tyre. About 16 years after this prophecy was given, Now, the prophecy was given just after 600 BC. Nebuchadnezzar came and attacked the city. He besieged it for about 13 years and eventually overcame them. They pulled down their towers and they destroyed their walls. And then, a little while later, the Persians came and attacked and destroyed and rebuilt. Then the Egyptians came and did the same. In this way, the first two parts of the prophecy was fulfilled, saying that many nations will come up against them and that their towers and walls will be destroyed. However, the last two parts weren't fulfilled. The last two parts were that the dust will be scraped and that it will be made like the top of a rock and it will be thrown into the sea. I have to say, so far this prophecy is by no means at all remarkable. Prophesying that a city will be destroyed does not require the foreknowledge of God, as the vast majority of cities at the time were conquered and destroyed at one point or another. However, What happens next always gives me goosebumps when I recall it. Around 260 years after Ezekiel made this prophecy, Alexander the Great began his conquest of the world. Now Alexander the Great, as many of us know, conquered the world in under 10 years, the fastest that it's ever been done before or ever afterwards. And as he was coming south, the various cities were just surrendering to him because he was very cruel on those who wouldn't surrender. And he came to an island just across where the ruins of the city of Tyre were. This was a very strategically important island. When it comes to the naval base they needed, Alexander sent word to this island and asked for their surrender. And they replied that they surrender. 
So Alexander said, great, I'd like to come and offer a burnt offering to the deity on your island. And they said, um, no, you can't do that. And he would have been like, uh, what do you mean I can't do that? You've surrendered. This is my island now. I do what I want. And they were like, um, no, nah, not going to happen. So he sent a few of his men to try sort things out peacefully. And the people on the island killed these men and threw them over the walls into the sea. Now, this meant war. So Alexander started attacking the island. However, the ships that Alexander had were inferior to their ships. They were also less in number. The people of the island were very experienced sailors who had really good quality ships. And after a while, Alexander realized that he cannot win this way. So he said, I know what I'm going to do. The island is only about around 800 meters off the shore. I'm going to build a bridge through the ocean. And he said to his men, do you see that rubble over there? Take it and put it in the ocean and build me a bridge. Therefore, this prophecy was fulfilled to the letter. The city of Tyre was literally taken and thrown into the sea. Even the dust was used to fill up the gaps in the sea. When I think of this prophecy, I'm just like, wow. When God makes a prophecy, it comes true, regardless of how absurd it sounds. But what about today? Are there any prophecies in the Bible that speak about events that are still happening today? We'll find out just after this song. Far away stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross Someday for a crown Well the old rugged cross So despised by the world Has a wondrous attraction for me For the dear Lamb of God Left His glory above To bear it to dark Calvary So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown And exchange it someday for a crown
To the old rugged cross I will ever be true It's shame and reproach gladly bear Then he'll call me someday to my home far away Where his glory forever I'll share So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I'll cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown And exchange it someday for a crown And exchange it someday for a crown Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? You're listening to Marius Jigau, and today we're looking at the abundant evidence that shows us the Bible can be trusted. We've so far looked at numerous prophecies relating to Jesus' life that were fulfilled just as they were prophesied. We've also looked at my favorite prophecy where God prophesies that an entire city will be thrown into the sea and how that was fulfilled. And we're now asking, is there any prophecies that relate to us today in the Bible? And the answer to that is yes. There are a number of prophecies in the Bible that relate to events that have just recently happened and some that are still yet to happen. But one of my favorite prophecies about events relating to today is the prophecy found in Daniel chapter 2. What happened in Daniel chapter 2 was that King Nebuchadnezzar had just taken many of the Israelites captive from Jerusalem. His motto was to take the best and brightest and train them in the way of the Babylonians. The very best he would keep for himself as his advisors, and the others he would send them back to rule on his behalf back in their homeland and to send him their taxes. That way people would be less likely to rebel against their own people, and he would still get the taxes. It was a clever idea, he actually learnt it from the Assyrians. Now, Daniel was one of these people that was considered to be very intelligent. And he was taken and trained up as one of the wise men. But one day Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. I invite you to go home after this and have a read through Daniel chapter 2. We don't have time to read the entire chapter today, but I do encourage you to have a look at it. So essentially what happened was the king had a dream. And he summoned all his wise men and told them, I have a request for you. And as they came in, he said, I've had a dream. I need you to tell me what this dream means. And they said, not a problem, king. Tell us your dream and we'll tell you what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not telling you what my dream was. You need to tell me what my dream was and also how to interpret it. And they were like, well, uh, no one can do this. No king has ever requested anyone to do this. Only the gods themselves could do this. And Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't tell me what I dreamt and what it means, I'm going to kill you all. Now, I remember when I first read that, I was like, wow, this guy is a complete psycho. But then after thinking about it for a while, I was like, maybe he's not a complete psycho. These people were telling him that they communicated with the gods. In fact, they were employed by him to do this. And now they were telling him that only the gods could tell him the meaning of his dream. 
you'd be like, well, hang on a minute. I pay you guys to communicate with the gods. Why don't you go and do it? So the command went forth for them all to be executed. And as the executioner was making his way to Daniel, as he was one of the wise men, Daniel asked him for some time. He said, please give me some time so I can pray to God. And this time was granted him. And then he came to the king. And we find this story in Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 35. We're just going to have a quick read through that. It says, You, king, were watching, and behold a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff in the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found and the stone which struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. I can only imagine the look on Nebuchadnezzar's face as he was picking up his jaw off the floor. He would have been like, wow, that's exactly what I dreamt. However, this was only half of what was asked of Daniel. He was also asked to tell him what the dream meant. So Daniel said to him, You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, strength, power, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, he has given them into your hand. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, this kingdom shall crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, that kingdom will be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw that the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so that kingdom will be partly strong and partly fragile. This is an amazing prophecy where God outlines the history of the world to Nebuchadnezzar over 2,600 years ago. Now we'll explore this prophecy just after this song. I cannot feel When my wounds don't heal Lord, I humbly kneel Hidden in You Lord, You are my life So I don't mind to die Just as long as I'm hidden in you If I could just sit with you a while If you could just hold me 
nothing could touch me Though I wounded, though I die If I could just sit with you a while I need you to hold me Moment by moment Till forever passes by When I know I've sinned When I should have Just sit with you a while If you could just hold me Nothing could touch me Though I wounded, though I die If I could just sit with you a while I need you to hold me Moment by moment Till forever passes by Just sit with you a while I need you to hold me Moment by moment Till forever passes by Moment by moment Till forever passes by Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigo and today we've been examining many prophecies and their extraordinary fulfillment and how this is clear evidence to the credibility of the Bible. We're now examining the prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 where King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly of bronze, legs of iron and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. 
where Daniel informed him that each of these sections of the statue represent a different kingdom on earth. Essentially what he told him was this, after Babylon will come another kingdom. Now the metals in this statue are very interesting. You see, when you see a representation of Babylon, you usually find golden lions, and gold was used to represent Babylon. Now what followed Babylon was the Medes and Persians who united together and conquered the then known world. What's interesting is that they taxed the people in silver, so they were very wealthy in silver. After the Medes and the Persians came the Greeks led by Alexander the Great. He was known for his bronze soldiers and after that was the Iron Monarchy of Rome. But after Rome, there wasn't any more one world kingdoms. My favorite verse in this prophecy is verse 43, which says, As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Essentially, what God was saying through Daniel was that after Rome, there will not be any more one world kingdom, as they will not adhere to one another. Now, many have tried. Charlemagne tried. He knew about this prophecy. Napoleon tried. He also knew about this prophecy. It's actually reported that when Napoleon lost, he said, Oh God, you are too big for me. The Kaiser tried. Hitler most recently tried. I've recently read a book about a gentleman called Franz Hatzel. It's an amazing book. It's called A Thousand Shall Fall. He was conscripted into Hitler's army. And even though he was forced to fight, he was a Christian. And he took the Bible verses very seriously, especially the commandments. He specifically looked at the commandment that said, you shall not kill. And he actually threw away his gun. He says he did this so he won't be tempted to kill. He actually painted a wooden gun so it appeared that he had a gun. He was part of the army that was on the front lines. They would build bridges. And as they were advancing further and further into Russia, Franz intimated to some of the other soldiers that Hitler can't win the war. Now, in a time of war, saying we cannot win is treason. So they took him to trial, and at his trial, Franz picked up his pocket Bible, and he showed his superiors what we have looked at today. He showed them the prophecy in Daniel chapter 2, and he said to them, Do you see these seven words here? They will not adhere to one another. Because of these seven words written about 2,600 years ago, Hitler cannot win the war. What's interesting was that he wasn't executed. His superior said to him, Just in case what you're saying is true, we want you to stockpile petrol. So if we do lose the war, we can get out of Russia. And when Hitler did eventually lose the war, this was one of only a few regiments that were able to make it back home. However, the prophecy doesn't end there. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, it says that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and it shall not be left to other people, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the God of heaven has made known to the king what shall come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. I love this part. He says, the dream is certain. I don't need you to tell me whether or not I've got it correct, king. I know it's certain, and its interpretation is sure, because it came from God himself. 
Now, I believe the Bible is full of such prophecies, so we can have something to hang our faith on. You see, a lot of people say, Ah, you Christians, you have your faith, but we have our facts. You see, God doesn't ask us to have faith that's not based on anything. He gives us much evidence, so we have things to hang our faith on. Now, what if I told you that one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John chapter 10, verse 10? And what if I would have told you I have memorized this verse word for word? Would this be something you would believe, or would it be, nah, we don't believe that? Well, most people would say, yeah, I can believe that. It's not hard to memorize a verse. I've made a small claim. Small claims don't really need much proof. What if I then claimed, I haven't just memorized John 10.10, I've memorized the nine verses before it as well, word for word without any mistakes. You'd think, eh, maybe. I'm not sure about that. And what if I then said, I've also memorized the previous nine chapters from the beginning of John, word for word. Most would be like, huh, I don't know if I can believe that. And then I would say, okay, well, let's open our Bible. We're going to look at the New King James Version. And I would start saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made, in Him was life. And I keep reciting the entire chapter 1. And then I got to chapter 2 and said, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, and I recited for you all of chapter 2. And then I went to chapter 3, and I said, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, And I recited to you all of chapter 3, and went to chapter 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, and I recited for you all of chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and all of chapter 9. It would take me a few hours. And let's say I didn't make any mistakes along the way. Now, I do make some mistakes along the way. But let's say this time I didn't make any mistakes. And I got to verse 10 and I said, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. And then I stopped there and said, I know the rest of this verse. Would that be believable? Do you think you'd need a lot of faith to believe that I would know the rest of the few words in that verse? No, you wouldn't. You'd think, well, you've been able to do all the rest. You'd most likely know that one as well. This is exactly what God has done for us in the Bible. God has shown us prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, time and time and time again, some of them being really absurd, but still being fulfilled just as he said. And now he's telling us there's a little bit more to go. Is it a long shot for us to believe what he's saying is true? I don't believe it is at all. Jesus says himself in John chapter 14 verse 29, I have told you before it happens, so that when it does come to pass, you may believe. You see, God has given us much proof about the things that he has written in the Bible. It's not a blind faith. It's a faith based on evidence that's been given to us again and again and again. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies have been fulfilled again and again and again. There's an interesting prophecy that's still to be fulfilled in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. 
It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I wanted to ask you today, will you say with me, yes, I believe that what God writes is true. I believe the abundant prophetic evidence that can be found in the Bible that has been fulfilled again and again and again. And I believe that what God prophesies will happen in the future will happen just as he writes. Don't put off answering this question as it's the most important question in your life. Won't you say with me today, Yes, God, I believe that your word is true and I want to follow you today. If you want to make this decision today, please say so in your heart as we close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you for all the amazing proof you've given us. We want to give you our hearts today and invite you into our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for listening today and don't forget to visit our YouTube channel called Is It Relevant Today? where we have video presentations on many topics including this one called Can God Be Trusted? We look forward to seeing you next week. I'm Marius Jigal. God bless and I hope you have a magnificent day. And lift you high
was near Though the people failed to see What Messiah ought to be Though your word contained the plan They just could not understand That your most awesome work was done Through the frailty of your son El Shaddai, El Shaddai El Elyonah Adonai Age to age you're still the same By the power of the name El Shaddai
You've been listening to Is It Relevant Today? If you have any questions or comments, please leave them on our Facebook page, Is It Relevant Today? But for now, thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next week. I love to tell the story T'will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love